Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, my colleagues, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and Colleen Dully, take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. I'm your host, Ricardo De Silva, in for Colleen this week, who, like Pope Francis, is out sick. On Saturday, the Vatican announced that the Pope's meetings had been suspended due to what they called a slight flu-like condition. Pope Francis is experiencing mild flu symptoms. The Vatican announced he had decided to cancel some of his public audiences as a precautionary measure. Two alleged victims of abuse from Father Marco Rupnik have spoken publicly for the first time in a news conference. The former religious sisters said that they were subjected to spiritual and physical abuse. I felt a sense of disorientation, a state of confusion, a feeling of violation in my integrity and my relationship with the divine. Two previously anonymous victims of abuse by Father Marco Rupnik have chosen to go public. Jerry attended the two-hour press conference in Rome last week, which coincided with the fifth anniversary of the Vatican Summit on Sexual Abuse in the Church. I'm Ricardo de Silva, and this is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from a cloudy and cold New York, Jerry. Well, we have similar weather in Rome, Ricardo. Good to be back with you. It's great to be back with you. Jerry, we received news at the weekend that the Pope had been experiencing mild flu symptoms. And so his public audiences were cancelled on Saturday. He was back in for the Angelus on Sunday. And then on Monday, we received notice again that his public audiences would be cancelled. And just as we're recording this on Tuesday morning, we've now received notification that tomorrow he'll be back for his regular Wednesday audience. What do we know about the Pope's illness? It does seem that every time the Pope coughs, it makes international press. Well, this has been par for the course, that all the Popes that I've seen, John Paul II, Benedict, everyone when they, at a certain point in their papacy, when they seem to be ill, immediately alarm bells start ringing. The reality is, and I'm pretty sure of this from various sources, this is a very mild precautionary measure. He's not really in in such bad shape. We saw him on Sunday looking very well, speaking quite forcefully, no respiratory problems. And my understanding is that this was something that started perhaps way back on Friday, So we don't need to worry that this is connected to any of his previous respiratory problems or issues with his lungs, etc. Look, Ricardo, there's a flu bug going around Rome. And it would be surprising, given the number of people the Pope meets, even though last week he was theoretically on retreat, he would have come into contact with some people, certainly. And uh, you can pick up a flu bug rather quickly, as you probably know. 
So I, I think there's absolutely zero reason for concern at this point. Jerry, before we move to our show for today, addressing the question of Father Marco Rupnik and the latest developments in that case, you've published two stories this week that we want to bring to the attention of our listeners. The first, you interviewed the rector of the Lviv Seminary in Ukraine. And then in the other piece that we've published this week, you interviewed a Palestinian doctor, politician, and human rights advocate. Uh, Tell us about that. Well, this is a man, Dr. Mustafa Barghouti, 70-year-old doctor, living in Ramallah now. He was born in Jerusalem. He has always been a man committed to nonviolence. He set up a medical relief center in Palestine, first of all in, in the West Bank, but also it's working still today in Gaza, insofar as anything is working there. And I asked him about how he saw the war today in Gaza. And he said, I want a ceasefire. And the only country in the world that can produce the ceasefire is the United States of America. He was very clear about this. And he said, then after this, the war ends, I want either the establishment of the two states, Palestinian state and the Israeli state already established, or else the creation of one single democratic state in which Palestinians and Israeli Jews can live together. He said, I believe this is possible. I think that this was a very positive message in the midst of what we see as terrible disaster where people risk dying of starvation right now. Well, Jerry, in both those situations, we're praying for a ceasefire. We know that on Monday, at least, President Biden reported that it appears to be that we are very close uh, to at least a temporary ceasefire in Israel and Gaza. Let's wait and see. We will certainly be praying for that. Thank you for continuing to report on these two very live issues of war in our world. Let's now turn to our main story for the week. So, Jerry, you were at a two-hour press conference last week held at the Rome headquarters of the National Federation of the Italian Press, where two women who had previously been anonymous came forward to tell of their alleged abuse at the hands of Father Marco Rupnik. It is important to note that this is a very complicated story. We have a very long timeline that I worked on for months, which we will put a link to in the show notes. But just to summarize very briefly, this is a man who was ordained in 1985. Around 1987, he became involved with this Loyola community, a community of sisters, in a role of spiritual director that he was never appointed to, it seems. There are questions around that too. And in his capacity as spiritual director, he spiritually and psychologically, at least at that point, now we also believe sexually abused women who were under his spiritual care. In 2018, the Jesuits received allegations that he had abused the privileges he has as a confessor in the Sacrament of Reconciliation when he absolved a woman with whom he had had improper sexual contact. And the Jesuits reported that to the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith by 2020. The Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith excommunicated him as a result of that crime. Once he repented of that crime, he was immediately reinstated. Following that, many women came forward with allegations in 21. 
And then by 2022, the Jesuits following investigation recommended criminal proceedings for canonical crimes with nine women that accused him of sexual, psychological, and spiritual abuse. But then the statute of limitations was invoked by the now dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, which basically meant that these women had not come forward within the prescribed time period to report their abuse, which was, I think, 20 years. Restrictions were imposed on then Jesuit Father Rupnik's ministry. He repeatedly refused to obey any of these restrictions, making international travel, public appearances, continuing with his artistic production. And so last year, in July, the Jesuits expelled Rupnik from the order, and Pope Francis, around that time, ordered the Dicastery for the Doctrine of the Faith to reopen the case. And now, on the fifth anniversary of the Vatican's Sexual Abuse Summit in 2024, last week, two women have come forward publicly at a press conference about the abuse they suffered at the hands of Father Rupnik. Jerry, who convened the press conference and who were the speakers? Anne Barrett Doyle of Bishop Accountability was the convener of the press conference. Uh, she came from Boston to Rome and she was stayed here some days and she organized this exactly on the anniversary, the fifth anniversary of the summit in 2019, which Colleen, not here today, and I attended. And that brought together bishops, representatives of the 112, 114 bishops' conferences from around the world to address the question of abuse in the church. Last week, we had about 100 journalists from the main international media in the hall of the Italian Press Association, plus two women, one a Slovenian woman, Miriam Kovac, and one an Italian woman born in Rome, who was Gloria Branciani. Each of them spoke for about a half an hour, gave their personal testimony. Miriam told how she joined the order, she was about 20-something when she joined the order, an order in Slovenia, the Loyola community. And she was at one stage the secretary to the foundress, a sister Ivanka. Gloria was a medical student at the age of 21 when she joined the community and when she first came to know Father Marko Rupnik. He had a very close relationship, Father Rupnik, with the Mother Superior, Mother Ivanka, and she was obviously a very strong controlling force in, in, in the community. There were f about 40 sisters, consecrated women in the order. They claimed that perhaps 21 out of the 40 were abused in either abuse of conscience, abuse of power, spiritually abused, or sexually abused. When they began to experience problems with Father Rubnik, he was a very charismatic figure. He exercised enormous influence on the individuals whom he was spiritually directing. And for example, Gloria told us, she was a young woman of 21 when she went in, that he began giving her a lot of attention, saying she was very, very fine, she had great possibilities of, of making headway in the spiritual life, etc. And he sexually groomed her throughout that time. She told a, a rather harassing story about her personal 
experience, and also Sister Miriam, they both said that the first entry of Father Rupnik into their lives was through conscience. He seemed to gain enormous control over the different individuals in the community. Gloria, for example, felt that she was almost destroyed internally before there was any physical contact. Jerry, I don't want to sensationalize these women's experience, but I I do think it's important for us to say, you know, just one thing that we heard in that press conference to make clear how this kind of psychological and spiritual abuse sort of gets mixed in. So Gloria Branciani, she said, he often watched me as he painted And that one time he lifted the bottom of her skirt saying it was like the Virgin Mary revealing Jesus's humanity to her. Yes, some canon lawyers and such like feel that what you're dealing with here is a pseudo-mysticism, a false mysticism. For example, he would say if he kissed her, it was like kissing the altar. And then at a certain point, it reached a, a point, a breaking point for her when he felt that he didn't just want sexual relations with her. He wanted a third person, another woman in, in, in the triangle, and that was meant to represent the Trinity. So it, it was this false mysticism that's also been reflected in other cases. Yeah. It's complete manipulation and abuse of power that he has in a very privileged situation. It's a distortion of the religious faith of the individuals. It's a distortion of their spiritual life, and it interferes directly in their relationship with God. And this is what they both pinpointed, that this disturbed directly their relationship with God. Some of the sisters began reporting alleged abuses to the mother superior. So this is Sister Ivanka Hoster. Sister Ivanka. And what transpired at the conference, and both women confirmed it, was that those allegations went to her, but they stopped there. She never transmitted the allegations to anybody else. At a certain point, Gloria, the medical student, after almost six years, she decided, you know, she could no longer stand it. She felt that she was really at the brink of despair. She went to the bishop, she resigned, and she left the order. Miriam, who had been secretary to Mother Ivanka, at the beginning didn't believe some of these allegations, but then began to understand the dimensions of the problem, and she too pulled out. When they went to the bishop, the bishop ordered some kind of investigation, and what happened was there was a split. Father Rupnik was sent away. He was not to have contact with any of the members of the Loyola community. This was when he was moved to Rome. Yes, when he left Slovenia and moved to Rome. And the explanation that was given to the community was that he was robbing them of their charism. The truth was not told that he was being removed because he was interfering directly in the lives of the members of the community. So I actually have a quote here from Miriam that I'd like to read. We were all young women full of ideals, but these ideals together with our formation in obedience and trust in the people who guided us were exploited for abuses of various kinds conscience, spiritual power, psychological, physical, and even sexual abuse. They said that during the time they were in the convent, at one stage, I think it was Gloria who said, she protested to 
Father Rupnik for what he was doing, and he said, no, I have the approval of my spiritual director. So they went to the spiritual director, and he didn't want to hear anything. They also went to the new provincial in Slovenia, and he didn't seem to want to know anything. So they felt that they were running against a brick wall in terms of having someone who would listen and believe what they were saying. So these women were denied their truth repeatedly. It really is a mess in terms of what happens to these women when they come forward. Here was a very charismatic spiritual guru, if you wish, an artist being recognized at high levels in the church and finding protection at high levels. And so here were women who were in a community but not having much chance to have their story listened to. It's a constant in, in all this whole abuse saga. And we should say that protection persists because Father Rupnik continues as a priest, now in a diocese in Slovenia, where he has been incarnated despite being removed from the Jesuits, despite the allegations and the concerns about his ministry. He is, as far as we know, an upstanding member of that diocese. And we're still waiting to hear what's going to happen in the resolution of all these cases that are outstanding. But let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we can look into the DDF's investigation of Father Rubnik and where that stands. Stay with us. Welcome back to Inside the Vatican. Jerry, what do we know about where the DDF's investigation stands right now? The reality is that there have been a number of investigations now. The women confirmed that they gave testimony to the doctrine of the faith, the Vatican office that deals with these questions. More than a year ago, there's a total lack of transparency because they have no idea what has happened to their testimony or indeed where the case against Father Rupnik is at the present moment, what stage it's at. What I've understood is that the investigation has been carried out. Several former victims of his have come and given testimony. They've been invited to give testimony. The dicastery is now in the process of evaluating and reaching a conclusion as to what happens next to Father Rupnik, because he's still a priest. He risks, I understand, being removed from the priesthood. But at the end of the day, I'm told, because of the process that is underway in the dicastery, it will be the Pope who has to take that final decision. Let's talk about Pope Francis, because, you know, at, at various points, it has been questioned how much Pope Francis knew and when. So just give us a sense, how has Pope Francis been involved in this case? Pope Francis himself said that the only way he got involved in the case was in terms of procedure. For example, he lifted the statute of limitations, which first the congregation or the dicastery said prevented them from 
going forward in a judicial process against Father Rupnik. The two women at the press conference were asked, did you make a formal complaint to the Pope? They said, no, we didn't make a formal complaint. The only time we made the complaint was in an open letter. They said, and we don't know really how well informed he is on our situation. There, there was a lot of stories that the Pope had lifted the excommunication. I am certain now this is not true. The excommunication was lifted by the then Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith two months after he was excommunicated and after he had shown that he was repentant. Which is what is required by the Church's law. The excommunication is simply a medicinal penalty, as it were, with the idea that the person repents and then the excommunication is automatically lifted. So the story that the Pope lifted the excommunication is not true. That the Pope somehow was backing Rupnik does not seem to be true either. That the Pope knew Rupnik, there's no doubt about it, because he has had audiences with the Pope, just as he had with John Paul II, and I think with Benedict XVI. Because Rupnik was a person well-known. But the Pope did have one questionable involvement last year, right, when he invited Sister Maria Campatelli, who has been a defender of Rupnik, who's been heading up the Centro Aleti, which is the the art studio uh, that he set up and the spirituality center that he set up in Rome. Pope Francis met with her, much to the criticism of Rupnik's victims. Well, I'm not sure that he invited her. My understanding is that she asked to meet him. Mm. Uh, and there's a big difference. He had a meeting with her. He gave her an audience, yes. Uh, and there was criticism also at the press conference. This was uh, noted. There's no indication yet that he has met any of the victims of Rupnik. What was the woman's reaction to the fact that he had met with Maria Campatelli? And Barrett Doyle said that this was really kind of offensive in the fact that he hadn't met with the victims of Rupnik. With the two women, there was the lawyer, Laura Scro, who has also been involved in other cases in the Vatican. Notably the Emanuela Orlandi, the Vatican girl case. She's one of the few people who has not just civil credentials in the legal system in Italy, but also she has credentials to act as a lawyer in the Vatican City State. And she was there. And she produced a kind of an identity kit of Rupnik. She said he had three levels that you look at him. First of all, he was a priest, therefore a member of the church, a person of the church in a certain role, which he abused. Secondly, he was an artist with considerable talent, and she mentioned the places where his art, where he's carried out his works of art, from Fatima, from Washington, D.C., in Madrid, in many places, also in the Vatican itself. And thirdly, he was an entrepreneur. He had a lot of business in, involvement because of this. And, and therefore, she was suggesting that maybe there was a lot of money involved, but it, the picture is not yet clear. And therefore, she said, if there's a lot of money involved, then the victims should be compensated out of that accumulated funds. But that's a whole other question. But she was very clear. And she said that in her estimation, because of what we heard from the testimonies of the two women, he should be in jail. And she said, my advice would have been to women now in the church who feel that they're abused, they should go to the civil authorities 
as well as to the church authorities. I think what also came out was the request by uh, Anne Barrett-Doyle of Bishop Accountability, which was endorsed by the two victims of Father Rupnik, was that the Pope should order a proper investigation and the production of a report on what happened in the Rupnik case in terms of how he, for almost 40 years, was able to continue abusing people without anybody knowing it. So they would like a report similar to the McCarrick investigation report done on the case of Rupnik. Jerry, as you said, we're almost 40 years down the line, and we still haven't seen significant justice, and not that ever there will be sufficient justice for these women who have suffered this horrendous abuse. I'm uncomfortable talking about it as a Jesuit. I'm uncomfortable talking about it as a man. And I know Colleen would have wanted to have had this conversation with you, but it was so important that we reported uh, on what has happened at the Vatican this week. Thank you, Jerry. Well, Ricardo, there's certainly a lot for our audience to tune into. As we know, with the two wars, they haven't ended. And we're praying that they will end. And the Rupnik case is not finished. So we will be coming back to all these three stories. And the Pope, we hope, is back in good health. Jerry, we'll put links in the show notes to all of your stories, to my timeline on the Rupnik case, and to the latest developments. Yeah, I, I wish Colleen rapid recovery and hope we're back chatting next week. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Audio engineering by Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from Robert Balasser at the Jesuit Curie in Rome and Delaney Coyne, our O'Hare Media Fellow at America Media in New York. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. The show is recorded in the William J. Loeschert Studio at America Media in New York and also at the studio inside the Jesuits' international headquarters in Rome. To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on X at INSDE Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also follow me on X at Rick DSSJ. That's R I C D S S J. And Jerry at Jerry O Rome. And Colleen at Colleen Dolly. Please consider becoming a digital subscriber. Just click the link in our show notes. It's easy to do and the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. And if you have a little time to spare, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. For America Media, with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Ricardo De Silva. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into Scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.